Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I netted $97,000, and I like to say 97 days. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Heard of crowdfunding and still curious about how you can benefit from it? Well, we've got a step-by-step guide put together just for you by the best ever team and patch of land, the industry's leading crowdfunding experts. The best crowdfunding crash course ever, episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173 will provide you all you need to know to get started and begin benefiting immediately. Whether it's getting access to funds for your project or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started with Patch of Land. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-A-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how's it going? I'm Joe Fairless and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. We've got a wonderful episode with Elvin Ames today. Elvin is from originally from Barbados, West Indies. He came to the U.S. when he was 17. He is a real estate investor at his company, Golden Eye Investments. He currently is in the NYU Master's Program for Real Estate Development. He's done over 70, 70 fix and flips and is a licensed real estate broker in New Jersey and realtor in New York. Uh, He's also a former U.S. Marine Infantry Sergeant and a five-time Marine Corps rifle expert, so do not mess with Elvin. (laughs) (laughs) Elvin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure, Joe. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Hello, best ever listeners. Um, Well, pretty much, you know, I'm a a young brother from the hood. Um, Didn't have anybody in my family that was into real estate. So I kind of um, learned through various mentors. And, um, you know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was looking for something to do, and I kind of stumbled upon a, a website which said nine out of ten millionaires made their money off of real estate. So that got me interested. I got into real estate. Um, first, I was a loan officer doing those FHA mortgages, et cetera. And then I became a realtor shortly after to help my uh, mortgage career along. 
and um, kind of fell into investing after receiving a few calls from investors who were looking at some of the properties I had listed. So I learned from them. Um, I did a few partnerships. Um, eh, didn't make as much money as I wanted to on those, but eventually I did my own um, investment deal, which was a uh, townhouse in Montclair, New Jersey, where I netted $97,000, and I like to say 97 days. Um, so, you know, after that, pretty much, you know, I was both feeding, investing after that. Wow. 97K in 97 days. Clearly, that's going to be the title of this episode. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's, it's way too sexy to pass up a title. So let's dive into that right now. That way, when, when the best ever listeners are like, oh, that's an interesting title, we can actually deliver on the substance of the title. <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little bit about the deal. How'd you find it? Um, how were you able to, uh, capture that much, um, equity and, uh, what'd you do and all that good stuff? So you guys going to really want to listen to this because there's a lot of lessons I learned from this one particular deal. Um, this was the first deal I did after my partnership. So I did about five partnerships. The first two partnerships, the one of the partners who was doing handling the books kind of, you know, fudged the numbers and basically cheated me and the other gentleman out of, you know, what we were due. The other two uh, partnerships, I made some money. The other three partnerships after that, I made some money, but it wasn't really enough. This particular deal came about. Uh, not, I wasn't looking for an investment deal at the time because I was still doing my, you know, uh, real estate gig. And uh, this um, seller was a, uh, you know, a, a, a prospect. I was trying to list this, pro- you know, I was trying to list this property. That was it. And, you know, one day, uh, I remember I was calling him because he, he was, he had a foreclosure going on and I, you know, I said, hey, you know, I could try to sell it for you. I'm a, you know, a realtor, et cetera. And uh, he said, no, I got everything under control. I'm working with the bank, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just out of curiosity, I went to the sheriff's sales. I didn't go there for his property. I didn't even know his property was on the list, but his property came up. So I said, you know, I know this property. So when I got back to the, after the sheriff said, I went back to my office, I looked for his number and, you know, I called him, you know, I'll use his first name, Mark. I called Mark and I said, Hey, Mark, I was at the sheriff's sales today. Your property just went up for auction. And, you know, you know, I, I could just hear the depression on his, in his voice when he was like, yeah, you know, um, I thought I had it under control uh, the banks, you know, um, didn't work with me. And, you know, is there any way you could help me? Well, I didn't know if I could help her at the time because the property had already gone to sheriff's sale. So I called one of the ladies at the sheriff's department. I'll call her name, Maria. And um, what Maria said to me was, well, he does have 10 days to redeem the property. I didn't even notice. So when a property goes to sheriff's sale or to auction, the seller has 10 days where they could come up with the the money that's owed to the lender. And if they pay it off, then they own their property. What I did was I I went, I sat down with Mark and I said, okay, we have 10 days where I could try to get you out of this jam. 
And I say, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it, but, you know, I'm going to try. Now, just one interesting thing about Mark. You know, when I went to, to meet Mark, you know, um, when I first knocked on his door, I opened the door. His two kids opened the door for him. And I was kind of like sitting in the, the living room waiting for him. And, you know, you know, I was speaking to this very confident guy a few weeks ago on the phone. But, you know, when I, when I met him, you know, when he came out, he was obviously depressed, but he was in a wheelchair. You know, and I noticed he didn't have any legs, you know. So, you know, kind of I had a kind of a paradigm shift, like from trying, OK, let me see if I could, you know, do a listing and do a deal to I really want to help this guy out. You know, um, he confided in me. He had just lost his job. His wife has just lost her job as well. And um, he had no place to go. Uh, he has these two kids. And, you know, now he is just like, you know, totally down on his luck. So I really wanted to help him out. And, you know, I always say that um, from helping him out, it helped me out. Anyway, to continue the story, I didn't even have the funding available at the time. Um, I did speak to a private lender, you know, about a, a month earlier about what, you know, if I got a deal and I brought it to him, if he would fund it based on the five, you know, partnerships I just had. And he said he'd take a look at it. And how much did he owe on it at the time? He owed, I want to say a, around 100000 It was like 97000 a 100000 in that range. Okay. And um, yeah, he owed about that. And, um, and obviously he wanted some money, you know, from, from, from the sale. Um, so I, what I did was I did a presentation. I, I put the numbers together. I think I ended up purchasing it for like a hundred and twenty, hundred and twenty-five thousand in that range, and um, you know I, I put all the numbers together. I did a presentation, and I took it to the private lenders the next day, um, and they said you know um, they'd fund the deal. They'd actually give me a hundred percent for the acquisition and the um, uh, construction. Now I only thought the property was worth about you know, 225 in that range fixed up. Um, little did I know is that when I, as I was, you know, in, during the process of purchasing the property, they had just finished construction on a, um, a train station, the Montclair train station, which was a, too far off from where this property was located, uh, which kind of opened a route to, to New Yorkers who wanted to commute from um, New York to, to, to Montclair. So what happened was instead of me, you know, after I bought the property, I helped Mark out. Uh, he was happy. He made, he got like 20 grand out of the situation, found himself a place to live. And, you know, he actually found a job not too long after that. After I fixed the property, it took about three months to fix it. And sorry, about a month to fix it, a month to market. And I, you know, um, sold it and closed within that three month period from the time I had purchased it to that time, you know, the, the, the values in the area had shot up because of the train station opening. So I ended up selling the property, uh, in a bidding war. I think I sold it for 305,000. So after closing costs, attorney fees, paying back the lender and everybody, I, my net was $97,000. Um, so that's, um, basically, you know, what happened with that situation. And then 
from from that you know one property it jump started my business and you know and and here I am wow that was your first deal on your own right out of the gate that's amazing how did you remind me or or tell me i can't i i, I don't have in my notes so I'm, and i'm taking notes um how did you find mark originally right so he was a um i i one of the the techniques that you know, some realtors used and I used back then was we would go through the um, sheriff's sale list. And um, if we saw, you know, uh, areas we were interested in working with sellers, we would contact them and see if they were interested in listing and selling their property. Um, that was a way to, 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 to generate leads. So I believe that's how I found Mark. All right. But, um, you know, what I didn't know is he, he wasn't that close to the sheriff's sale, but I initially spoke to him. He said he had it under control, but then, of course, you know, he did go to auction, and, and that's how I uh, eventually ended up working with him. When you're finding properties now, because I know you've done 70 over 70 fix and flips, is that the primary way? Because I, I noticed you said what I used to do. So are you, have you changed strategy since then? I still look at the sheriff's sales. However, most of my deals now are coming from what I call raggedy houses. Because I, you know, I work, you know, a very small area. I really don't go outside of um, the Newark, you know, area, Newark, Irvington uh, area. A lot of the deals that I find are, you know, raggedy houses or vacant properties. So as I'm driving by an area, you know, I see a property that something looks off not well kept, the grass is too high, uh, possibly those blue stickers showing that, you know, the bank is, has gone in and um, secured the property, winterized the property. I'll stop, I'll take a, a photograph of the property, and I will try to contact the owners. Usually those properties are vacant. So that's how I've been getting a lot of very good deals because they're not on everybody's radar. People are, you know, sending them, you know, 15 different letters trying to get them to, to sell. So usually when I speak to them, I'm, I'm kind of like the only guy that's uh, speaking to them. And I find I get, you know, much cheaper, better deals out of it. If those properties are vacant, what is who's the typical owner of those properties? Because I know the people who are receiving those direct mail postcards are likely out of state owners. Uh, I'm an out-of-state owner and I receive many postcards on the homes that I have. So I know I'm on mailing lists. So if they're not out-of-state owners who have the vacant properties, who are they? Well, a lot of them are out-of-state. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of them are out-of-state. But some of them, you know, live in the state. It's just that, you know, they couldn't afford to keep the property. So it's in some form of foreclosure, just the bank hasn't taken any action on it yet. I think now a lot of people are calling that shadow inventory. Some of the, a lot of the deals are investors who bought the properties, you know, before the um, recession, they owe a lot of money on the property. And in some cases, not, it's not only just short sales. In some cases, the bank has completely written off the loan. In fact, I have one right now where, you know, I, I did a, a quick title search on it, and the bank discharged the mortgage. Um, there's a tax lien on it, but I guess the bank figured 
it was cheaper to discharge the mortgage so they don't have to continue paying the taxes on this vacant property. I'm getting that a lot. A few of them we're getting, the people died. So now we're tracking out the heirs and um, trying to contact the heirs uh, to sell to us. I've had a lot of success there. Um, and th- that's mostly where my leads are coming from now. You'd mentioned that you, before you did your 97K and 97 days deal, mm-hmm. you entered into five different partnerships. The first two had someone doing some funny math right. and the other three, you made some, but not enough money. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about the first two and then let's talk about the next three. So on the first two where you had the funny math guy, how did you know these partners to begin with? And what would you do differently? Well, the very first two, I can't, I'm not going to call their names. The guy who kind of cheated us, I worked for his mortgage company. I was one of the reps. And I brought the idea to him about flipping properties. And he said he knew a friend of his who was also in the business of flipping properties. And we had to kind of bring that friend in because, you know, the hard money lenders at that time, didn't want to lend to people who didn't have experience flipping properties. So we brought in the other gentleman who was a straight up honest guy. Uh, unfortunately, you know, the, 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 lo- the guy who I worked for at the company was not. And um, what I would do different is I would make sure that we open separate accounts with all three of the partners name on it, or at least the ability for them to sign the, the checks and to see all the, the, the mathematics. There was a lot of commingling on his part. Also, you know, he kind of like hit a lot of the numbers. We knew what the numbers were because, you know, not only I brought the deal in, I was the person in charge of the construction. And so I knew what the contractors were getting paid because I took the checks to them. Also, I'm the guy who sold the property and in some cases got the and buy the mortgage. So I, I knew what the numbers were, but he had control over the account. So he got the disbursements from the hard money lender. He also was the one who went to the closings uh, when we eventually flipped the properties. So he had full control over the finances. And, you know, it, that was probably what I would do. However, what I actually did is I just kind of stopped working with partners and I you know I prefer to to do the deals these smaller deals myself and for best ever listeners uh, who aren't familiar with the term commingling funds uh, that's where you take some funds from a property that's not included in what you're working on and you put those funds into that property so you're mixing and matching funds from different properties or different sources is that right Elvin that's it and on the the other three, I know you're not doing partnerships anymore, but I, I think this is great for myself and the best ever listeners to learn a little bit about different partnerships and what to look for because you know some people might still be doing partnership and, and I, I also do partnerships. So on the other three, you made some money, but not enough. Mm-hmm. What was the structure of those partnerships? Okay, well, just, just one thing um, I want to say before that. I would still do a, I'm still open to partnerships, however, on much bigger deals, right? So the small deals are not so much open. So the structure on those, th- those last three partnerships I did, it was, you know, two other partners. We 
were supposed to split the profits equally, a third, a third, and a third. They were partners before, you know, um, I came into the equation. So they still had their own thing going on. I pretty much found the deals because I had no money to put in. I found the deals. I fixed the properties up using various contractors. I was in charge of that. I found the buyers. And a lot of times, because I was a loan officer, I would actually do the mortgage for a lot of the buyers. So that's pretty much how, how what, what, what the structure was on, on those last three partnerships. I made some money, but, you know, I still think that there was, you know, it, everything wasn't laid out the way it should have been laid out. And, you know, I was also very disappointed because I felt like even though they did put up some money, the truth is, is that, you know, I did pretty much all the work and the money that they put up really came from other private lenders. I mean, private lenders kind of funded the whole thing. So here I was again, you know, um, not getting much of the equity, but doing all the work. So that's why I'm, I, I don't really do those uh, partnerships on smaller deals. But I don't want to discourage anybody. You have to start out somewhere. That's where I started out. Also, you know, I got a lot of education uh, from doing those partnerships. You know, you know, I learned from a lot of the more experienced guys who were who I partnered with. In fact, one of the guys, the 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 the, the three partners, uh, the three partnership deals, um, I still know this gentleman. We speak regularly, and I would work with him in the future. But um, you get to learn a lot from from partners, especially experienced partners. And you get to kind of make mistakes with other people's money in a way. So I kind of got all that out of the way with those first five partnerships. So when it was time for me to do my own deal, I was kind of ready. I was a, you know, a true veteran, but I, I went through a lot of the, the, the pain of construction and flipping houses. So I was prepared on that sixth deal that I did. Elvin, what's the best real estate investing advice ever? I would say cash flow is king, not cash. It's great to have cash. So when you're buying and flipping houses and you make a chunk of money, that's great. The problem is, is that between the time you have that property and the time you sell that property, six months could go by and you have six months worth of bills that's, that have built up. At the end of that flip, you know, the IRS also has their handout. You know, that's your silent partner. So I would say if you could buy and hold rental properties for long-term cash flow, that's a better strategy um, to cover those monthly expenses. And once you have those expenses covered uh, plus some, then, you know, go do the hardcore flips. Or if you're going to flip a property, you know, try to flip it without fixing it just just flip it right away um to another investor you make the cash take that cash and buy yourself some rental properties where you could cover your monthly expenses because what happened during the recession and i lived through the recession um is you know when people stop buying real estate um and, and by the way i used to flip about four houses a month i had four time four people full-time in the office I had 20 guys in the construction field. We, I mean, my my uh, revenue for 2006 was like 3.5 million. 
So, you know, my background's flipping. However, now I buy and hold for long-term cash flow and appreciation. And I, I, it's a much, it's a less stressful business model. And, you know, I think in the end, those guys do a lot better than the guys who just buy and sell, buy and sell. So that's my advice to the best ever listeners. Yeah, I love that because ultimately if we keep flipping and flipping, then it's it's a means to no end. Mm-hmm. But if if we flip and, as you mentioned, reinvest those profits or at least a portion of those profits into uh, long-term holds, then we're building that cash flow is king versus that cash um, that we're we're having velocity of money um, and we're just on a, a hamster on a on a wheel basically. So I completely agree and and follow that advice myself. It's kind of like the uh, chicken and the egg, right? So you know you could slaughter the the chicken and get a tasty meal, or you could keep the chicken alive and let it keep laying eggs for you. You know, I'd rather let the chicken keep laying eggs. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> well, time for the lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do this. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it, and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D dot com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read. The best ever book I've read, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? The best ever personal growth experience is meeting that seller, um, Mark, who was down and out in his luck and uh, getting him out of that situation. Because what I learned is that by helping him, it really helped me. And I didn't go into deal just to make money. That was like an afterthought. Where it probably shouldn't be. That's probably not good business advice. However, you know, by helping out this gentleman, you know, it really catapulted my career. And I would say help other people's and other people and, you know, it'll, it'll help you out in return. Best ever success habit you practice. The best of a success habit I practice, well, I'm not that great at it because honestly, I work long hours and, uh, you know, I, I you know I do get up early, but that means because I, I go to sleep late working long hours. But, you know, I would say I what I do is I do, I make a list of all the things I have to do for that day and I get a, you know, a good feeling out of going down the list and crossing things out. For some reason, you know, it just gives me a feeling of accomplishment. And um, I would say, you know, make a, a list, a daily checklist, even the day before or the day of, and just go down that list and, you know, uh, write down what you have to do uh, for that day or for that week. And as you go through it, just physically cross it out. And, um, you know, it, it, it gets me going. Best ever deal you've done. Is it that 97K in 97 days one? Believe it or not, it is. I do believe it. <laughs> That's the best deal I've done. I, I think uh, I haven't topped that yet. I think uh, the, the second best deal I did after that was eighty thousand. But typically, my flips were between twenty five and fifty grand. So yeah, that was the best deal I did. 
Well, when you top the 97K in 97 days, then let me know, and then we're going to have a, a follow-up discussion on the show. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> Best ever project you're most excited about right now? All right, well, what I'm really excited about now is buying these rental properties for, for long-term cash flow. Right now, I, I own about 12. I have three more, one that's on the construction, two more that um, I'm about to start soon. And, um, you know, I've start, I started that strategy in 2012. So I'm seeing how it's, it's paying off. That's kind of my business plan after coming out of the recession. And it's paying off. The cash flow is, is, is making my life a lot easier. I can pay bills. I don't have to stress out about where everything's coming from. And, um, you know, I'm most excited about that. And trying to get, I'm trying now to, to get to purchase bigger units, more commercial apartment buildings. Um, so, so that's what I'm really excited about now. Best ever way you like to give back? The best ever way I like to give back. You know, I would say, you know, I, I like pets. You know, one of the one of the things that um, you know, especially in Newark, I see a lot of you know uh, dogs and cats that are abandoned by the owners. So, in a few of the projects that we've done, we've actually found people's abat cats, kittens, dogs, and what I've been doing is adopting them out. I think right now I've adopted out about seven cats. Um, Three of the dogs that we found we kept, I still uh, have those dogs. And, you know, I, I just like working with pets. I like going to the shelter and, you know, kind of, you know, feeding them. And hopefully as my business grows, we could do something, you know, that would be one of the charities we would look into probably helping people adopt um, animals. So, so that's the way I like to give back. Oh, yeah. you're Eventually you're going to have to tear down a house and just build a, a, a pet pet resort for all these animals yeah. that you're adopting <laughs> yeah what's the best ever quote i would say uh, mario andretti i believe he said if you're in control you're not going fast enough you know so a, a lot of times we um you know we kind of slow down our progress because it, we're, we're comfortable but you kind of got to be um comfortable being uncomfortable so I, I, I like that quote by Mario Andretti. And lastly, what's the, would you say the biggest mistake is that you've made so far in business or real estate? Yeah, the, the biggest mistake I've made was not securing my, you know, not having um, solid cash flow. Because when the market drops, and it will drop, all markets drop, everything that goes up will come down. You know, you have to pay those monthly bills. And what happens is if you can't cover your, you know, your overhead, your expenses, your fixed costs, your uh, workers, you know, you're pretty much out of business. And then it's going to take you a while to build back up. So, you know, I, I would say, yeah, that's it. Just make sure that's covered. And what's the best ever place to reach you? The best ever place to reach me, um, you could go, you know, uh, follow me on LinkedIn. Just put in Elder names and reach out to me. Um, you could call me on my cell, 973-336-9524. You could also hit me on Skype. My name, Elvin Ames. I have the email address as well, elvinames at gmail.com. That's E-L-V-I-N-A-M-E-S at gmail.com. 
Elvin, thank you so much for being on the show and you know talking about your 97K and 97 Days case study where it was you know, tracking down the or having a follow-up conversation with the seller after you went to the, the sheriff's sale. You saw that the property that you had previously discussed was actually on sale in the auction and you called your contact at the office, talked to Maria. She said that you have 10 days to redeem the property, so then you had a 10-day window, and then you, you uh, hustled within those 10 days. You didn't have the money lined up, but you knew that you could come up with a solution, and you had the confidence in yourself to make it happen, and you just kept methodically taking the next step with faith and with determination. So you know, hearing that story is, is incredibly inspirational, and then seeing the results is, is uh, exciting, very exciting. That's awesome to hear. And then your consistent advice about having solid cash flow because when the market drops, you have to pay the bills and you have to um, have whatever lifestyle that you need to have. Everybody needs to have a different lifestyle because we'll have different expectations and commitments, but we have to have that lifestyle and, and the bills paid. So focusing on reinvesting our profits into long-term holds is the way out of the rat race because we're buying the assets um, and we're holding on to them long term. Um, thank you for being on the show. Really, really nice meeting you, talking to you. Thank you for your service in the Marines and uh, wish you the best and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Joe, and um, have a good day, best of the listeners, and talk to you again, Joe. Hey, you, best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes, so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.